Okay, it, it's working today. We figured it out last week, so we had some technical issues. You can turn me down a little bit, though. It is really loud. Thank you. How's that? A little more? Up a little bit? Right there somewhere. Alrighty. Good morning. I'm trying not to breathe on the mic. I'm just letting everybody get settled here. Thank you for this morning and thank you for bringing everybody out to hear what you have in store for them. I pray, Lord, that they all came expecting not just to, to sing some songs and hear a message, but they came expecting to see your face, Lord. They came expecting to meet you here in person. I just pray, God, that they, they, they bring that expectation and, and they pull on your on 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 the gift that you've given me to bring out what you have in store for them here today, Lord. Open their ears and let them hear what you want them to hear. I ask, Lord, that that I step aside and, and that I may just take my seat and watch as, as you step forward and bring forth your word here today in this place. I just pray that, that it touches each and every heart, Jesus, and, and, and it plants a seed that will continue to grow and take with them. Let them walk out of here more empowered and, and, and more strong in their faith than they have ever have been. And we ask you these things in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen. We're going to start in John 11, and we're going to jump around just a little bit in John 11 there, and then we'll get on. So 11, 1 is where we'll start. Everybody knows this story, uh, but we're going to, we're going to dig through it a little bit. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was that Mary, it was that Mary, which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with, with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go unto Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are you not are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in night he stumbleth, because there is no light. In him, 
These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. Then said the disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus, howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I can't imagine, we're not done, but I can't imagine what the disciples, Jesus is trying to say, hey, look, I'm going to raise him from the dead. He's just asleep. And they're like, well, he'll be fine if he's just asleep. Why do we got to walk all the way over there and you get stoned? And he's like, okay, he's dead, okay? Just follow along with the rest of, he's dead. Let's jump down to 23. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, thou, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I believe this this morning, and I hope everybody here believes this. Now down to 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. You may be seated. And that's what I'm going to title this is Loose him and let him go. Now just in this chapter, there's a lot to glean from. There's a lot to pull out and I would hope apply to yourself. Uh, I mean, he just talked to he just talked to Martha, and she said, "Yes, I believe he'll raise again." And he's like, "All right, whoever believes in me, though he were dead, sh yet shall live." And she's like, "Okay, I believe that." In twenty seven, she say it says, "She saith unto him, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world." But just down into thirty nine, she's like, "I don't think you want to roll that stone away. He doesn't smell good." And let's be honest, they didn't really have good embalming systems back then. Uh, so you're talking, we'll get gross for a minute, the skin worms and the canker worms and everything had started taking toll on Lazarus's body. They had started eating him and stuff is, it's pretty hot out there. I'm just, I haven't been to Israel, but I've been right around the corner and it gets pretty warm. Even in the springtime, it's pretty warm. So he's locked away. They weren't very wealthy people. So they didn't have the, you know, the great ways to keep him from 
They just kind of wrapped him up in some uh, cloth and a napkin and put him in there and he began to stink. And Martha's like, you don't want to do that. And Jesus is like, you just told me you believe. You just told me that you believe that basically whatever I say, it's going to happen. I told you I'm a raising from the dead. And now you disagree with me. We see this later on in 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 the in the other places where where the he comes up the centurion comes up and he's like you know my kid's dead and he's like I believe that that you'll raise him because you know he's like well let's get, Jesus is like let's go and he's like uh, we don't have to do that I believe that you can just say it and he's like I've never found such faith and he's like you know I believe but forgive my unbelief we all run into this. We all have this this issue that we'll pray and we say, oh, man, you know, I really hope I really hope God heard me on that one. In 42, Jesus says, and I know that thou hearest me always. I'd say that everybody's Bible in here says something like that. It says, I, I know not that I think I believe I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. So I want to encourage you today that any time that you pray, Jesus says right here, he knows that God will hear him. Know that God hears you when you pray. Know that whatever you ask, God hears it. And if you only believe, if we just go back to the other side, if you only believe, Brother Branham says that that was the angel of the Lord's favorite song, was only believe. And that's why he always, he always made sure that they sang it. And uh, he, would, he would frequently see the angel of the Lord when they would sing it. He would be nodding like, yes, in acceptance. And that's what 26 says, whosoever liveth, believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? So I believe this. Let's go to John 12, just over a page for some of us in verse 10. But the, pre the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Now that's a testimony right there. Lazarus literally didn't do anything but die. He was friends with Jesus and he believed Jesus. But the reason that they wanted to kill Lazarus was because he died and Jesus brought him back. Nowhere in between here does it say Lazarus went around running and hooping and hollering. I mean, I would. Let's be honest. I was dead for four days. I'd tell people about it. But the only reason that they wanted to kill him was because he had died. And they were losing people from their church, their religion, and we're going and following Jesus. And they're like, well, I don't care that he raised somebody from the dead. He's a liar. 
he's of Satan. These are all things that were said. So if you're following Jesus today and you're standing by and doing what he tells you to do and going where he tells you to go and saying what he tells you to say, you're going to have the same type of people are going to say, you're of the devil. You're a liar. We need to kill that guy. You might not see it like that because people don't just go around, you know, killing people like that. But there's multiple ways to murder somebody. I can, I can murder you without actually bringing harm to you. I can murder your testimony, what people say about you. If all of a sudden, we'll just use this for an example. If all of a sudden, all of the Websters just up and leave the church. Every single one of us. There's not a lot. There's only six of us total. My four and those two. But everybody would go, well, what happened? You know, Matt, and, Matt spends a lot of time with Brother Sam and Sister Bethany, so something might have happened. Not only would it ruin my testimony and my ministry, but by not even saying anything, the whole Parker testimony, his whole ministry, people would be like, well, I don't want him to come if he can't even keep his, his assistant pastors in the church. What's going on in that church? And although that each and every one of you know, know us in some, some sort of way, nobody would want to ask, why did you leave? Where did they go? What happened? We run into this. We left our old church years ago. We rarely ever see anybody. And when you do, they rarely ever talk to you because they don't want to know why you left. One, they're afraid. Two, a lot of times when people leave the church, whoever's standing here ends up saying bad things about them. Well, they, we heard it at our old church. Multiple people, multiple families were murdered from behind this sacred desk. Well, they just, they don't understand. They don't believe anymore. Basically saying they're not Christians and they're not walking with Christ. We just talked about Wednesday. If you're not with God, you're with Satan. You cannot have two masters. It's one or the other. You're in or you're out. So there's more than one way to murder somebody. Now in this text, they're literally wanting to kill him again. I don't think it would have gone over that well. Ah. Until God is done with you, you will not die. I was listening to Brother Wayne. We were listening to him, and I've heard the message a couple times, but he talks about uh, Ron Spencer was sitting behind him. When Ron Spencer, when Brother Ron first got told he had cancer, they said, make, get your affairs in order. You have weeks to live. That was three or four years ago. He has stage four cancer, like brain, lung, something else. Like it's, he's got it all. Like it's not stage four cancer. He went to the doctors uh, a couple weeks ago, right before their meetings that they had. He went to the doctor, and the nurse walks in the room with his chart, and she's looking at the chart, and then she looks at him. And this is his story. I'm going to just share it because it blessed me. 
And she looks at the chart and she goes, this chart does not look like the man sitting in front of me. This guy should be dead. But until God is done with brother Ron Spencer, Satan can put all the sicknesses he wants on him. And if you look at him, he doesn't look like a stage four cancer patient. My boss, I told you, my boss, just, one of my bosses just had cancer and he was a large muscular man and he looks like Sam in my clothing now. He lost, so it was a hundred something pounds. He lost total. Ron Spencer has not lost weight. He still has his hair. I mean, if he did lose weight, I haven't seen it. He looks, you look at him and you go, that is not a man that has stage four cancer. Let that encourage you that no matter what sickness you have, no matter what Satan puts on you, until God is done with you, it ain't, it's not going to affect you. I mean, yeah, he's still, the, the earthly body will still feel pain or get sick or out, throw up, whatever the case may be, depending on, uh, you know, what, what's happening to you. But it cannot take your life until God says, you're done. Come home. Let's go over to Psalms 107. And 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and yep, condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. And if you stop right there, you go, man, I'm never going to make it through this. I cannot do this. And you're right, you can't do this on your own, but when you're depressed and you're reading through Psalms, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of preachers, well, I'm, I'm suffering with depression. Well, read Proverbs and read Psalms. You know, it's very, there's some encouraging things. Well, if you're depressed and you stop there, you're like, I'm going to just, I'm going to just go live in the woods and be by myself until God calls me home. But if we keep going, just one more verse. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Psalm 68. Just go back just a little bit more. I say a little bit more. Psalms is a large book. 68 and 6. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. Bringeth out those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. If you will just surrender to God. Psalms 107 that we just read, 68 that we just read. It says he will bring you out those that are bound in chains. When you cry out in, your, in the hardest times, when you're, 
when you see no way out and you cry out to him and just say, Lord, you gotta, you gotta do something to help me. I cannot do this on my own. In that same message, Brother Wayne was talking about a guy, he was talking about um, seed, and he called out a young man in his church a couple months prior, and he said, hey, do you know, he was sitting with his dad, and he said, do you know that's your dad? Yes. Do you believe that he's your father? Yes. Do you believe that you were his seed before you were ever born? Yes. And he goes, so how, if you can understand that in a physical sense, then why is it so hard for us to understand that we were the seed of God before the foundation of time? And the guy came up to Brother Wayne a little while later and he said, um, I really needed that. Just a couple weeks ago, I was talking with my wife before church, the only two people that were part of that conversation. And I said, this, the, the young man said, since I was 12 years old, I struggled with knowing if I was chosen by God if I was a seed of God to begin with and the only two people that knew it was me and my wife and I said God's just gonna have to beat me over the head with this one and then and then maybe I'll understand and brother Wayne called him out that day by name so a lot of times I know that we 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 struggle and we fight and we just man I, I don't know what to do I don't know what to say I don't God just do something in this situation, you have to do something so that I can get back going in the right way, get out of this muck and this mire and just, I'm so bogged down and moving slow. I can't, I can't even, I don't even feel that you're near. Do something to let me know that you're near. At a minimum, just let me know that you're here with me. Everything so far, and I and, and I hope that I can bring this out in a way that everybody will understand that when Jesus said that you're free, you're free. That's free from everything. That's free from your depression, your anxiety, your sickness, your hurt, your pain, whether it comes from family or friends or co-workers, it doesn't matter. You're free of it. And you don't have to be bound by it. Acts 12. I've got to find my cheater things here. Acts 12 and 1. Oh, nope, 12 and 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So Peter was not just chained and thrown into a, a, a prison cell. He was way down in the prison cell, chained, and then chained to two guards, and then they had guys sitting outside the door, and at the next keep, and at the next keep, and at the next keep, and then at the gate. You would think that he was the most dangerous criminal to be bound like this. I mean, this is past maximum security prison. And he was so worried about it, he took a nap. Do you think that you could take a nap if you were just scooped up off the street for following Jesus? 
There's no other reason. I mean, he's not going around hurting people. He's healing people. He's preaching the gospel, and Herod couldn't take it anymore. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. Now, if you notice, it said an angel of the Lord came unto him. This is kind of what we've, we've been trying to get, get to you, that you can sit in the same room, and the person beside you is completely, and they are not in this dimension. They are gone. They are in a higher plane. And you're like, what's the big deal? All of these guards, says the angel of the Lord, came to Peter. They did not see the bright light. They did not know any of that happened. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. I think that one reason Peter thought that this was all just a vision was because as he's doing this, he's chained to two guards and the chains fell off and he's just like, and then he starts getting dressed and the, you know, and he girds himself and he puts his and ties his sandals and he kind of walks out and everybody's just like he's still in there. I mean, think about that for a minute. It would almost be like you're invisible. Nobody's stopping you. You're locked in a maximum security prison to and you're just walking out, not running, not sneaking. You're just kind of like you're with a bright angel that's lighting up everything around you and nobody's looking at you. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of the surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. So not only did nobody in the jail see him as he walked through two full wards, we're talking about the inner sanctum. And like it said, there's somebody here, there's somebody there, and then there would be somebody at each and every gate. And he walked past them. It does, once again, does not say he ran. He walked past them. If God can send an angel that is so bright to walk Peter out of a prison that's not bright, they didn't have LED light bulbs. It's not like they're like, oh, that's just a glare. It's dark. And it's nighttime, so a lot of the torches would be out because... They're done. Shut up and go to bed. So they just walked out. And then they get into the town. And they walk out to the front gate. And then the front gate just opens. I don't know if you know much about towns that had walls that had iron gates. One, iron gates are not quiet. They make a lot of noise. 
WD-40 was not invented yet. And they walk, the gates open, of, and he just walks right out again. And then as he gets further on out of the town, he goes, oh, that wasn't a vision. I'm actually out of the town. So we have these, these situations that seem too good to be true. Peter here is thinking this is way too good to be true. I was just bound, probably had a bar between his legs so that he couldn't run if they did open the door, and then bound to two guards. And not only was it all just loudly broken and I walked out the door, but now I'm free from even the town that put me in there. I'm free today. I look back while I was while I was working on these notes, I looked back at all the things that I thought that I'd never get out of. Oh, I'm so bound by this. This is this is just me. This is well maybe maybe because I'm this type of person, maybe you know, you got to we feel that we need to act a certain way because of where we came from or we were military or this or that, or, oh, I am this race, I am this color, I came from this neighborhood, I have to act this way. But you are free from all of that. You listen to country music, and if a man doesn't smoke or drink or drive a big old truck, chew tobacco, you know, drink a beer all the time with his friends, you're not a man. And that, that stereotype has been put so deeply into today's society that if you don't drink, people look at you. When people say something to me and I'm like, well, I don't drink anymore, they're like, what? Like, one, you, you're a veteran. You're supposed to be addicted to painkillers and, and alcohol. That's just, that's part of what you do. And I'm like, well, let me tell you why. It's not just, I, I chose not to. But people look at you because you don't do those things like you're the weird one. Acts 16. So just over a couple more pages and 24. One more page. Who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So now we know, we're talking here about Paul and Silas, so now we know that they're not just chained, they have wooden stocks and then locked around their feet. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors opened and everyone's bands were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, not feeling the earthquake, the singing in the earthquake did not wake the prison guard. He just woke up and saw the doors open. He's like, oh, man. The prison doors open. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. 
Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew exactly at that point that it was nothing that anybody in that prison did. Now, something else that's remarkable to me about this is nobody else ran either. It wasn't just Paul and Silas's door that sprung open. It said all the doors came open. Not everybody in there were Christians like Paul and Silas, but none of them ran either. Why? Why did they not run either? I think there's multiple reasons. Maybe God kind of told some of them and moved on them and said, hey, don't run. Maybe, maybe they didn't know that their stocks were loosened, but maybe they were comfortable because they had been there so long. We get comfortable in our prison cells. We get comfortable in our bindings that Satan puts on us. And we just, well, I'm fine here. Nothing bad's happened to me recently. Satan's not going to attack you when he has you sitting comfortably in a prison cell. You, he has no reason to. He has you where he wants you. The, the stocks are broken. The chains are loosened. There's nothing holding you there, but you're comfortable sitting up against that cold wall on that cold floor. You just kind of hold the chains because it makes you feel content. And then all of a sudden, the door slams shut when death comes a-calling. The bindings lock down. And the jailkeeper, Satan, walks around the corner and he goes, I gotcha. You thought that you had it easy because nothing bad happened to you. You thought that, well, if this is as bad as it gets, I can deal with it. I'm fine with just sitting here. I'm fine with people only calling me names. I'm fine with... I'm fine with not being able to go do this or go do that. I'm fine not going to church. I'm fine not fellowshipping with, with my friends and my fellow believers. I'm fine not traveling to go or listening to tapes. Whatever it is, whatever you're saying that, well, I'm fine stopping here. I'll be, I'll be this much, but I'm not going to go be this much. I'm not going to step out a little further. I'm not going to take that big step of faith. I'm not going to step out. I don't, I don't really think that I need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm a fine Christian where I'm at. I read my Bible. I come to church. I pray every now and then. I give him a good 30 minutes a week, you know. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. They were beaten, by the way. That's a little bit earlier in this. And washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his, his whole house. Straight away. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. It took one scary situation, let's be honest. I mean, that was 
he was willing to die than to die at his own hand than to be killed by the Roman army. But if you keep reading through Acts 16, uh, so just in, just in 35, the, the magistrates sent the sergeants and they say, let them go. And the keeper of the prison told them saying that Paul or told them saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore depart and go in peace. They're not even in the prison anymore. If you follow context, they're sitting in this dude's house. They just ate a big dinner and they're hanging out at his house. And Paul's like, no, make them come. Let us go. Why would he say that? Why, instead of just saying, all right, you know, it was good. Nice to meet you. Glad you're saved and walking out the door. Why does Paul say they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Not only was it illegal for them to do what they did to Paul and Silas, because Paul, Paul and Silas were Roman, you could not put them, you could not treat them that way. That was against their own laws. But Paul wanted them to come so that they could see what God had done in that, in that prison. Paul wanted them to come down and go, why is everybody unlocked, but nobody's like ran off and done anything? Why are you at his house? Why do you have new clothes? Because that's a testimony. That testimony of, of the doors breaking open and Paul saying, hey, none of us went anywhere, saved that man and his whole family. For generations to come, that's a testimony. The word free, so we're not talking about broken, uh, broken, that are, you know, broken bindings. The actual word free is mentioned 33 times in the Bible. That's at least one for every month, every day of the month. Every month you can say, I'm free. And there's a scripture for it, plus a couple extra. But bound is only mentioned nine times. Over three times as many scriptures that say that you're free than say, that you can be bound. Satan will tell you and convince you like we talked about being comfortable in that prison cell. He's not just a liar, but the greatest deceiver that's ever been created. Remember that today that Satan is a created being. He, he, he doesn't want to mention that. When he comes to, to trick you and to deceive you and lie to you, he doesn't mention that he also is a created being. Let's go back over to John 8, 44. Here Jesus is uh, talking to some Pharisees and they're, if you go back through it a little bit and they're like, we're sons of Abraham. And he, if you were sons of Abraham, then you would do the works of Abraham. That's pretty simple. So in 44, they say, we're sons of God. And he's like, if you were sons of God, you would know that I was sent here by God. 44, ye are of your father, the devil, 
and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. There is no truth in him. He literally cannot speak truth. That's why he has to add a little or take a little away. Everything he says, he has to twist it just enough to sound like truth, but be absent of it altogether. When he tricked Eve, he added one little word. When he tricked you, I guarantee it was just one little word. So as we walk in this, we have to know the truth. Jesus is the truth. So if you do not know Jesus and if you do not have an intimate relationship with him, then you're leaving that door open for Satan to come in and twist it just a little bit that you go, well, that doesn't sound that bad. That's not that bad. I mean, even Jesus drank wine. So if I have a beer every now and then, well, this, so if I, if, if I do this, well, well, if I look at this, if I go here, if I, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you spiraled so far out of control that you're back in Psalms 107 in the darkness, bound in chains, and God has to come pull you back out. But even if you fall to that point and you are in that darkness and you are bound all of a sudden and you don't know how you got here, the Bible does not say that he'll leave you there. It said they cried out to the Lord and he pulled them out and broke their chains asunder. When Satan tries to remind you of your past, because that's all he has on you, he cannot remind you of your, or he cannot bring up your future because he doesn't know it. But we know his future. Let's go to Revelations 20. And 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That sounds horrible. Hell was not created for man. This is why hell was created. Hell was not created for you to go to. Hell was not created as a scare tactic to get you to come to Jesus. Hell was not created just so that you would say, well, I need Jesus for fire insurance. Hell was created for Satan and the false prophets were the beast, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, I told y'all I got a new Bible, and there's a lot of, the reason it's so thick is those two are scripture and all that is notes. I love it. So there's a Satan summary that is summarizing. It's just to summarize and put some knowledge and some uh, other verses to back up what Revelations 20 and 10 says. And I just wanted to read that today. I don't expect you all to get all if, if to flip to all these scriptures but if you want them come get me afterwards and I can show it to you and you can get them all the fearful beginning this fearful beginning apparently created 
one of the cherubim, Ezekiel 1 and 5. And anointed for a position of great authority, perhaps over the primitive creation, Genesis 1 2, Ezekiel 28 11 through 15. Fell through pride, Isaiah 14 12 through 14. His I will, Isaiah 14 13, marks the introduction of sin into the universe. Cast out of heaven, Luke 10 18. He makes earth and air the scene of his tireless activity, Ephesians 2 2, 1 Peter 5 8. After the creation of man, he entered into the serpent, Genesis 3, 1, and beguiling Eve by his subtlety, secured the downfall of Adam and through him of the race and the entrance of sin into the world of men, Romans 5, 12 through 14. The Adamic covenant, Genesis 3, 15, of Satan through the seed of the woman, then began Satan's long warfare against the work of God on behalf of humanity, which still continues. This present world system, Revelations 13:8, organized upon the principles of force, greed, selfishness, ambition, and sinful pleasure, is his work and was the bride which he offered to Christ. Bribe, that's a B, Matthew. The bribe he offered to Christ, Matthew 4, 8 through 9. Of that world system, he is ruler. John 14, 30, 16, 11, and God, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, little g. As prince of power of the air, Ephesians 2, 12, he is at the head of a vast host of demons, Matthew 7, 22. To him under God was committed under upon earth the power of death, Hebrews 2, 14, cast out of heaven, as his proper sphere and position of authority, he still has access to God as the accuser of the brethren, brethren Revelation 12.10, and is permitted a certain power of sifting or testing the self-confident and carnal among believers, Job 1, 6 through 11, Luke 22, 31 through 32, 1 Corinthians 5 and 5, 1 Timothy 1 and 20. But this is a strictly permissive and limited power, Amen. Permissive and limited. If God does not allow him to do it, he cannot do it. No matter how much he begs, pleads, cries, whatever. He can just sit there and watch you sit happy and eat dinner in the presence of your enemies. And believers so sifted are kept in faith through the advocacy of Christ. Luke 22, 31, 30, 31 and 32, 1 John 2 and 1. At the beginning of the great tribulation, Satan's privilege of access to God as accuser will be withdrawn, Revelations 12, 7 through 12. At the return of Christ in glory, Satan will be bound for 1,000 years, Revelation 20 and 2, after which he will be released for a little while, Revelations 23, 20 and 3, 7 through 8, and will become the head of of a final effort to overthrow the kingdom, defeated in this, no questions there. There's not a chance. Defeated in this. He will be cast into the lake of fire, his final doom. The notion that he reigns in hell is not biblical. Who here has been told that he reigns in hell, that hell is his? He's the king of hell. Nope. He is the ruler of this present world system, but will be tormented in the lake of fire. But he tells us, 
He tells us that I have my own kingdom. I have my own kingdom. No, you have a system that you're trying to impart on us. When he went and tempted Jesus, he was tempting Jesus with what was already Jesus's. He said, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus is like, I saw a funny video and it's biblical comedy. And he was like, I can't take it anymore. You're tempting me with what's already mine. Jesus never wants, nowhere in here does it say that it's his. The system is his, what he's trying to give you, but he has nothing to give you. He will only twist and pervert something in a a gift that God has already given you. If you're a good singer and he goes, well, I can make you great and I can make you famous. That's a gift God gave you. Musical instruments, preaching, teaching, speaking, whatever it is. Maybe you're a super fast runner and he's like, I can do all these things for you. I already have the gift. The gift is already here. I was reading the the quote of the day today. Brother Brandon was talking about he had uh, gone back and he was telling his daughter, she was four at the time. He said, uh, she said, I I want you to come home, daddy. And he said, well, I I sent you that, that bear from Texas. She goes, I know, but I want you to come home. He goes, but I sent you that rabbit from down in Chattanooga. And she said, yes, those gifts are great, but I want you to come home. And he said, see, the gifts that God gives us are great, and I love them. And I love to sit back and watch them work in the church. But I want my father to come more. I want to see God in the flesh more than I want to see his gifts working. I love seeing the gifts in just this small assembly. I love when we have the testimonies and these things. But I would love Jesus to show up more than just hearing testimonies. Testimonies are great, and we're going to get to the power of testimonies in just a minute. But I need, I, I want everybody to understand that the, I love the gifts. I, God has given me many gifts, and all we, all we need to do with those gifts is give them back to him, and he will multiply them even more. It's crazy how that happens. If, if, if my dad gives me a gift, and then I give it back to him, it's not, nothing's going to happen there. But if, if, when your heavenly father gives you a gift and you give it back to him, the gift is going to be so much greater. There's going to be so much more. The whole parable of, of, of the talents, that is that it's what that's trying to teach. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Revelations 12 and 11. And if this doesn't light you on fire this morning, then I have not done anything So we talked about Revelations 12 just a minute ago, and it talks about it. There, um, there appeared a wonder in heaven, woman clothed with the sun. Uh, if you go through it, the red dragon, which is Satan, it talks of Christ, the arch- archangel Michael, and there's a great war. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. We're back in seven. Sorry. And the dragon fought and his, and his angels and prevailed not. Amen. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. And and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, 
Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now here's what I want everybody to look at. Let's look at 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. I just fell over. But the word of their testimony. Where in that, so Satan likes to tell me a lot that my testimony is nothing. There's nothing great about it. People go through that all the time. There's people that have worse things. You don't know how bad it is. I'm sure everybody here has been heard something like that. But even if your testimony is nothing more, I was a sinner saved by grace. Grace, through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, Satan cannot stand because he cannot have it. He does not have that opportunity. He can't use it against you. And that's why he hates us so much. Because if you just stand on your testimony and the blood of the lamb the blood that was shed for you on Calvary by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and just the word of your testimony. If somebody comes to you and is like, well, how can I be saved? We talked about this. The jailer came to Paul and said, well, what can I do to be saved? It was just a testimony. All of, all of the stories that I told you today, if you go back and you read them, it was just a testimony that people were saved and Satan was overcome by just saying, well, this is what God did for me. You don't have to be eloquent in speech. I am far from it. You do not have to know the Bible, every word inside and backwards and in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. You don't have to know it like that. If somebody comes to you and is, why are you so happy? Just tell them your testimony. It means more than you being able to quote scriptures to them. This does not say, quote all the scriptures. Overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the power or and the word of their testimony. There is power in your testimony. You have the power to share your testimony and to say, I am free. In 1965, in the message, Works is Faith Expressed, if you've listened to, it's in some other messages too, but this is what uh, Brother Sam was talking about, I believe, last Sunday. Brother, uh, Brother Branham's telling about a vision he had, and he saw a lady that he had seen, uh, that he used to run groceries for. And she said, Brother Branham, deliver us from this. Said, this is a house of hell. And said, you have been misunderstood. And said, these and you, you misunderstood these people too. Said, these are fine people, but, and I looked over there and like a great big cellar or big walls down beneath a great big cave and great iron bars, eight or 10 inches thick. 
And people out of their mind, twisted arms and legs, beating their heads like that. And she was crying, saying, Deliver the people, Brother Branham. Said, said, Help us, we're in trouble. She herself, I know her. She belongs to the, I believe, the Church of Christ or the Christian Church called Church of the Brethren. So she, I looked around and I said, I wish I could and go on looking around and ah, my little my little bitty body and them great big iron bars and those poor people in there, and you couldn't get to them. Them iron bars was sitting close together, and I looked, and they were beating their head like that, like they were out of their mind. And I seen some lights flicking around in there, and I looked up, and there stood the Lord Jesus with a, a, a lights of rainbow around him. He was looking right straight to me and said, deliver those people, and he went away. And I thought, well, how could I deliver them? I haven't got strength enough in my arms to break those bars. So I said, house of hell, give way to the name of Jesus Christ. And all the creaking and popping and, and rocks rolling and the bars falling and people running and screaming delivered and screaming at the top of their voice and, and was all delivered. So say today that you are free. Claim it this morning. Claim it for your family and for your friends. Tell Satan to loose them and let them go. This is me, by the way. It's not in there. And he has to do it in the name of Jesus. Flip over to Luke one or Luke 9. Because a lot of people go, well, I don't have that power, Matt. I don't, have, I don't have that healing power. I don't have, that's not a gift that God gave me. That's, I don't have the power that, that you're saying. I don't have the the to be able to do that, to just cast out demons. Luke 9 and 1, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Are you a disciple of Jesus? What makes you a disciple of Jesus? Baptism in the Holy Ghost and faith in what he did. There's not a long there's not a lot of criteria. You just have to, when he says do this, you do it because you know it's going to be better for you in the end. It might be hard and it might hurt a little bit. Let this go. That's the one that hurts most of us. When he says, hey, you really need to stop watching that one show. Hey, you really need to, you know, you just spent, bro, Brother Sam talks about he had this book that was, you know, a thousand pages or whatever and he read through it in a, a week or whatever, and then he goes, well, you know, that's a couple pages more than my Bible. I could have read my whole Bible in the same amount of time, but I spent time reading this instead. Anything that takes your time away from God is an idol. We've talked about that. So now let's go over to John 14 and 12. That's John 11, Matthew. John 14. Sam's given up trying to find the scriptures. He left his Bible at home today and he had to borrow one. 14, 12 through 14. You don't realize how, how well you learn your Bible until you have to borrow somebody else's Bible. Then you're like, I don't know where nothing is. 14, 12 through 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 
And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, and the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That doesn't say to know the scriptures inside and out. That doesn't say that you have to live a perfect life. That doesn't say you have to be a certain denomination. That doesn't say that you have to go to a certain church. Jesus said, verily, verily, listen, listen, pay attention. That's what that means. Pay attention. I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. We were talking about how, how can we have victory in these battles, in these trials, in this, these tribulations that we face, this daily onslaught that Satan throws at us. And, you know, we've all heard, well, you need to put your, the, the armor of God on, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. Let's put it as simple as we can. Faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, what it did, and the word of your testimony. And if you just believe, only believe in Jesus, the works that he did, you'll do. So think about what he did. He didn't just cast out little demons off a little kid. He did that, but he cast out a legion of demons. I was reading that in this, and it said it was well over a thousand. All the pigs that ran. That man had well over a thousand demons. And when, he, when Jesus stepped off that boat, they trembled. You have that same spirit of God living in you. That when you walk, demons tremble. But you have to believe it. It's not, it's not some big thing that you have to do. You don't have to go out there and, well, I have to do this. And I have to pray 14 hours a day. And I have to read my Bible, you know, the other 14 hours. And I'm not allowed to sleep. And if I do sleep, I have to have this on. And I have to listen to this. And I have to do this. You have to believe. That's what Jesus told you to do. So either you believe what Jesus told you to do or you're not going to do it right. I mean, there's, there's no, I believe Jesus. Jesus said, if you believe. So did he not, singers and musicians can come back. Did he not, Jesus, at his physically weakest moment, who in here has fasted for 40 days straight? I have not. I can't make it. A couple hours straight sometimes. Okay. A day will be pushing it. 40 days. I'm going to meet Jesus by the end of it. Did he not rebuke Satan and send him packing? I mean, let's be honest. I like to eat, folks. Right here, Jesus says, through faith in him, you can do the very thing.
Satan cannot stand when a believer realizes who they are in Jesus Christ. Not just, oh, that annoys me, but he physically cannot stand on his feet. Those demons, when, when Jesus stepped off that boat, they ran and they bowed and begged that he not kill them. If you believe, they have to do the same thing to you. You believe in Jesus. Not only does Satan have to go get permission to attack you, but when he comes down, he has to, hey, Sam, um, you're not who you think you are in Jesus. You're not saved because you're only 11. And all you have to do is go, wrong, and I'm a go. I believe in what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Can we sing only believe? Let's sing only believe. I just hit my head again. I got to have this thing higher. Start us off. Father, we 